Follow the White Rabbit, Neo, to Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And five cool things just happened in the world of geekdom, and we're here to talk to you about them. Number five, <laughs> this one is a bit of personal interest to me. Uh, so this comes from, it's a little different from our usual stuff, not from the Hollywood Reporter, but from a recent study published in Frontiers on Psychology by Dr. Gregor Sizik of the Hanover Medical School. Um, I will read for you the summary. In a recent study, the long-term effects of playing violent video games were investigated. This study found that empathy is not blunted by playing such games long-term. In your face, Mom. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that got personal. This has been, from my perspective, like, this has been the latest version of, like, you know, Elvis's hips are the devil. <laughs> which really was just a permutation of women reading books was the devil. Like, there's always something that the older generation doesn't understand, that the younger generation is doing, that the middle generation tries to regulate to appeal to them. <laughs> I think the most recent one was rock and roll music. Um, that was well, the devil for a while, right? Well, pop music in general, what with the parental advisory warnings, that was a whole thing in the 90s. Yeah. But then, you know, video, Mortal Kombat essentially came out and ruined video games for everybody because now violent video games were coming to ruin your children and turn them into psychopathic killers. If only it had just stayed as portly plumbers who go down pipes and jump on Goombas. Well, even that's, I mean, like, that's abuse to turtles and stuff, <laughs> right? Like, that's a whole PETA thing these days. Um, no, there's been a lot of studies sort of going both ways. I mean, you know, exposing kids to violence is a big deal, and it does do things to them. But the argument was that in violent video games, you're giving agency to these kids. Like, people use the term, like, they're murder simulators. Anyone who's held a 16-button Nintendo controller can tell you that's not how you kill somebody. But people don't see it that way. They found it as something new and something very scary and something they didn't understand, and they tried to ban it, and they tried, you know, it's... We've been over this cycle over and over and over again. They mention in this study, people have you know, actually doing research into this, have come up with either answer. Right? Like, yeah. Does it hurt kids? Yes or no. But the trick to it was that it was always an immediate reaction. They talk about it, it's like, so we had you know, some kids like you know drink six Coca-Colas, eat four chocolate bars, play Call of Duty for four hours, and then ask them if they were aggressive. And yeah, it seemed like, they were, like their adrenaline was up. Well, no, duh. <laughs> this was a long-term study over the course of years. And they've been measuring it. It's I mean, again, Frontiers is a major academic publisher of sort of peer-reviewed scientific papers. If you're interested in this sort of thing, you should look into it. They will give you the evidence a lot more in detail than me. But in short, they had a control group and they had kids playing violent video games over a long period of time, measure their reactions by interviews and by MRIs to measure the brain activity. Turns out, violent video game... Not that much different from non-violent video game or no video games at all. Now, here my my point is, you have taken this right to heart and, and are, are spreading the gospel of video games around the world based on this study. But my question is, why why does this study carry more weight for you? Is it only because it... Uh, it, it... What sets this study apart is that it's done over a long period of time with a great deal of scientific data. It's not anecdotal. It's right. not based on, you know, my neighbor Cheryl, her kid played Mortal Kombat in the theater once, and on the way out, he punched a kid in the arm. Like, there's research and effort and just you know, the scientific process. You try to narrow the stuff down and observe results. I just think that there are, are, are a lot of studies as well that, that come to opposite conclusions that may not have had the same 
length of time involved, but you dismiss them out of hand when they didn't conform to your view of the world. Am I right? No. No? No. What I'm dismissing is the immediate response. Like, like again, I, yes, I present it sarcastically. Yeah. But, you know, if you a kid plays Call of Duty for four hours, and then does he seem more aggressive? Probably. If he plays soccer for four hours, is he going to seem more aggressive right after? I'm betting yes. Yeah. Now, an important distinction maybe needs to be made there. Violence in general... Yeah, maybe your five-year-old doesn't need to see the latest episode of The Walking Dead. But video games have been the latest thing to be villainized, just because they've been misunderstood. And I've tried to quote these studies and the facts and how it really works people, and people just don't want to hear it because they don't understand. But right. like all the other stuff that's gone through this, rock and roll music, Elvis Presley's hips, all the way back to, you know, witchcraft in Salem, as a new generation comes of age and investigates the stuff, we can sort of figure it out. That's not to say that everything turns out to be good once you understand it. We did a lot of scientific studying of cigarettes. Turns out they're bad for you. We can prove it scientifically. Maybe it's time we should stop smoking cigarettes. In this case... No, the evidence isn't there that a violent video game is any different from a violent movie or a violent television show. Yeah, uh, I just, I, I, and I agree with you, and I, I definitely don't think there's a correlation between violence in video games and a rise of violence in, in people in general. Well, but that's it. Like, yes, you don't think, but now there's scientific evidence there's, to say that my, there isn't. My point is, there's one study that we're referring to right now, anyway, that says that. I'm sure there are other studies that say it too, but there are going to be studies that go both ways. You know, depending on the, the, the time of year, you're going to find a study that says chocolate cures cancer and a study that says chocolate causes cancer. It's like, you... Studies can be molded in... in... Like anything else, this is the sort of thing where you have to do your own research yeah. to find out what's happening underneath it. What's happening underneath this one is it's using very verifiable measurable scientific data over a long period of time. I would just like to see m more studies. Like, w one study on its own is is fine, but... Sure. At some point, though, you have to, like, draw a bar. Yeah. Like, like how long until you're convinced? Ten studies? Well, Twenty studies? More than like, one. It has, mo <laughs> it has more to do with the scientific method behind it. And this is, like, violent... Video games haven't been around that long, especially, like, photorealistic violent video games. So yeah, this is the really the first of its kind that has taken this long-form view at it. You know, you can't prove that cigarettes cause cancer in a day. Mm -hmm. But over generations of people smoking, and with, now we have the ability to measure this stuff, we've been able to do it. So, yes, I, I, maybe I'm not the best person to... Maybe you should have done the lead on this one, since you're <laughs> less invested. Um, but it's out there. It's Do I have the issue number... Uh, I don't have the exact issue number, but if you Google Frontiers, you'll be able to find it. If you're into that sort of thing, it might be worth looking into. Even you, Mom. <laughs> All right, moving on to less uh, personally invested serious stuff, to violent symbiotic stuff. I guess so. So, really abruptly, seemingly, the, the Sony Pictures Studio announced that they have a release date for a Venom movie. And a lot of us sort of looked at each other and were like, I, I didn't even know there was yeah. a Venom movie in the offing. And on the other hand, why wasn't there? Like, <laughs> but the, one of the things that I find interesting about it, 
I mean, here, let's give the details. Uh, they yeah. announced that it's going to be uh, released on October 5th, 2018. As far as Which we know... Which is weird that they would start with the release date yeah. before... But, okay, sure. There's no director attached. There's no cast attached. Which is important to note because apparently the little bit that we know is that it's not going to be tied into the new Tom Holland Spider-Man stuff. Which m- makes it unusual because Venom relies on Spider-Man. He's like, he's, he's very literally, that's how the character was created. Yeah. And he's, he's a mirror image of Spider-Man. It's like, you know, you can't have Venom without Spider-Man. It's like, you can, you could do a Joker without Batman, but Venom is the evil Spider-Man. There's like, there's without Spider-Man, there's, there's no Venom. So that'll be interesting to see how they pull that off. The, the names we've got attached to it right now are uh, Alex Kurtzman, he of the Kurtzman and Orky writing duo that was around for a long time. He was attached at one point to, to direct, and I think he wrote a treatment, but he's gone now. Then there was Dante Harper, who was involved a couple of years ago. He's really interesting. He had a bunch of credits on IMDb as like a production designer and things like that, but he has only one other writing credit, and it's for Alien Covenant. Huh. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, we're dealing with creepy black alien, you know, comes into your body thing. Like that's got some venom stuff there, right? Yeah. So there, there are a couple of new writers on board as well. Uh, they have worked on that zoo TV show. I, I, well, it looked really silly. I didn't really watch it. Fair enough. But so yeah, let's get back to but, the 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 main the juice of this yeah. story. So venom showed up in the late eighties um, or early eighties, depending how early depending what is venom. How do you count the character? Because right. he started <laughs> off. As just weird goo that gave Spider-Man a new suit. Yeah, he was like a living costume from the Secret Wars crossover. And then he turned... It was like he was taking over Spider-Man. Yeah, it turns out the goo was alive. Yeah. So the Fantastic Four helped him detach himself from the goo. And then the goo broke free and attached itself to Eddie Brock, who was a photographer who had an antagonistic relationship with Peter Parker, and so they were the perfect bond. The, the suit hated Spider-Man, the a guy Brock hated Peter, Peter Parker. Parker, and together... Yeah, so because they was on Spider-Man for so long, he sort of, like the symbiote, the alien goo, sort of can mimic some of Spider-Man's abilities, so he slings like Spider-Man slings, yeah. he's got some strength, he's got immunity to Spider-Man's spidey sense, Yeah, which so is interesting. One of the few guys who can sneak up on Spider-Man. And, I mean, definitely started off as, you know, as dark Spider-Man, Yeah, but since then he's been an anti-hero. Yeah, and he's he was so been... popular, he got his own spin-off comic where he was the hero, and he just... Yeah. They just avoided him interacting with Spider-Man during that. Which is how they could do the movie, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was very 90s. All yes. that stuff. Yeah. That was just, you know... Just muscles upon muscles. Upon muscles. Yeah. The tight black <laughs> suit. Uh, but it was cool. The way when you're a kid, like, you kind of identify... Like, you don't want to be the bad guy, but being, like, a, like the cool guy... Right. Like, like, this was, like, the cool Spider-Man. Like, yeah. Spider-Man is kind of he a dork. And rules. He, yeah. Venom does his own thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they made that great Super Nintendo game, the Maximum Carnage game, where you could play as Spider-Man or as Venom, and we all played Venom. Yeah. Uh, now, those of you who don't follow the comics closely, this might be ringing some bells, eh, which is a yeah. Yeah, reference, yeah. Uh, because <laughs> they sort of tried to, well, no, they tried to do Venom for Spider-Man 3, and it didn't go great. Uh, mostly because it was 90% Eddie Brock and not a lot of Venom. And I, I think the main thing was at least that the rumors in Hollywood are, are that Sam Raimi, the director, didn't like Venom, didn't know anything about Venom, didn't want Venom in the movie. And the studio pressured yeah, it him. demanded it. Yeah. And so we had the Venom and Sandman and, and New Green, Green Goblin yeah. movie. Which, uh, I mean, that that movie isn't... 
a tragedy, but it's certainly not as good as the first two, and it's not a great depiction of Venom. So have they tried it in the movies once already? Yeah. Yeah. But maybe now they're going to give him the, you know, the movie he deserves. And yeah. I'm all for that. Venom's a blast. Uh, it's also important to note that Eddie Brock is definitely not the only host for Venom. Like, there's been a score of people, so maybe that's how they're going to keep it separate from Spider-Man. Maybe. It could be any number of people who have worn the Venom, including Eddie Brock's wife at one point, briefly. Okay, yeah. It became She-Venom. <laughs> and there was uh, one of the really interesting, unique things about it is that, that Spider-Man has another villain named Scorpion. He's been around since the 60s. He's an old villain. And at one point, Eddie Brock was dying, so he auctioned off the suit, and Scorpion was the top bidder. So Scorpion was Venom, somewhat confusingly, but Scorpion was Venom for a while there, and then the Venom suit moved to Flash Thompson, another character who'd been in the comics since, you know, the Way beginning. Back when. Yeah, beginning of time. He was a, a, a bully of Peter Parker's, but had was always a big Spider-Man fan. He went to war, lost his legs. The Venom suit gave him legs again, and he was like a true superhero because. Flash Thompson is generally a decent guy, and he went off and fought with the Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. He was he had a, a good chunk of time. Yeah, and since the Venom's been in the Thunderbolts, yeah, which were like they started as bad guys and became kind of bad good guys, and just like he's been everywhere. He's great, and we'd love to see him again. There's just a, so many different places they could take this movie. In any case, there's only so much we've heard about that. And again, it seems a little weird to release a release date before you have actors or a script or anything. Yeah, that's um, probably what was kind of the downfall of Suicide Squad, you know? Yeah. They had a release date, refused to move it, and that time pressure can be a problem. But here's hoping that that, you know, lights a fire under somebody to get some stuff down because if you, if you haven't followed, Venom is awesome. <laughs> and that has the potential to be a great movie. Number three on the list, we talk about Star Wars a lot on the podcast. I think we've mentioned the Darth Vader comics a couple of times. Definitely. Um, the recent ones, it ran from 2015 to 2016. There were 25 issues. Story starts and finishes. And they were really good. Um, they're comics, they take place right after A New Hope, so the destruction of the first Death Star, where now Darth Vader's in a lot of trouble, because there's been a, you know, a huge failure, but he's also discovered that he has a son. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting things happening to that character, and these comics sort of covered that, what's happening to him. It's a really great run. The story was finished. It was a blast. So they decided to make more. Uh, we found out last week that they have a new run of Darth Vader comics coming. Uh, not by the same people, same no. studio, but a different team. The originals were written, I got written by Kyron Gillen and art by Salvador LaRocca. Yeah, there were great team. I think it's Kieran, Kieran? Gillen. He's he's a fantastic writer. He, he a lot of his stuff is really good. And Salvador Larocca has been doing beautiful comic book art for for decades now. And they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the new team. Um, I don't recognize these guys. Maybe you do. The, the new team is Charles Sewell and Giuseppe Kemencoli. Yeah, so I don't know uh, the artist by name, but uh, Charles Sewell, he's sort of a, a newer guy on the scene. He's He's got some stuff under his belt. He's been doing a lot of Marvel work and has uh, <clears throat> has, has a following. But yeah, he's... he's I, I, I don't want to be rude, but he seems kind of like a bit of the B-team to me. Like, hmm. Kieran Gillen is fantastic, and getting yeah. him was a coup. He was... Just great, and it shows. Like I would have, yeah. I really would have liked for that team to come back. I'm always willing to let a new team give it a shot, but those guys were great. Yeah, it's a tough act to follow. Yeah, 
So these comics, they're not a direct follow-up to these. Actually, they take place before. Yeah. They mention proper Star Wars tradition, this will be a prequel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which gets everyone a little nervous, but Rogue One was a prequel, and that worked out okay. Okay, yeah. Um, these Vader comics apparently start moments after the end of Revenge of the Sith. They're going to start where like you know, Anakin wakes up, he's a horrible cyborg thing now, and he has to figure out how to live with that. And they mention that the first arc of the comic is going to be about him forging his new lightsaber. So, you know, here is where I have a question, because one of the the weirder aspects of the prequel movies is how how disposable lightsabers were. They were just, there was no personality to them other than Count Dooku, Dooku's and uh, maybe Mace Windu's. But all the other lightsabers was just like coming off the assembly line. There was, yeah, they would lose them and like force pull another one. Yeah, yeah. And so, so to have this follow directly after those movies, like, I get why Luke Skywalker making his own lightsaber is a more is an important story because he's the last Jedi. There's there's no one else around. He it doesn't have a choice but to build his green lightsaber. But Darth Vader, he's coming at a time when when lightsabers were plentiful. It was like at Halloween, you go door to door, you get a lightsaber and a lollipop. You know, everyone gets lightsabers. <laughs> well, we see that from the prequel movies, but they have introduced in the canon that making a lightsaber is still a very personal thing. Um, like, like in the Clone Wars cartoon, there's a, actually, I think it's a two or three episode arc, and part of it is like the kids, like not even Padawans, like the children, where they're starting on making these lightsabers, and they have to go and like have kids, zany kids adventures to find the crystals, right, etc. So it is a, a big, like it, it is a big deal. It's a personal thing. It's very much, I mean, the way Star Wars is kind of fantasy more than sci-fi. So along the fantasy, like this is your magic sword. Yeah, there's always a magic sword in fantasy. And this is what it's going to be. Making, you know, the evil magic sword, making the red one, that's going to reflect on the character. That sounds like something that I really want to dig into. Uh, we've learned a little bit. This is getting a little into the weeds, but we've learned from some of the, the new canon EU novels that, like, the Sith, like, when the bad guys make their, their red lightsabers, that's not a natural thing. It's something that has to be done to the crystals. Hmm. And, like, we've seen from Rogue One, like, you see how they sort of imply that the crystals are kind of alive? The Jedi use them and connect to them, okay. so like the dark side people are like hurting the crystals. Okay, anyway, it's, it's but that just makes the disposable nature of them so much. It makes weirder. It, it, ah, yeah, ah, were, ah. were the prequels dumb and bad? Yes, we've been over that. Yeah, in this one they're tying it closer to all the good Star Wars stuff, and that's fine with me. It sounds to me like that's going to be like a really interesting, like you know, making the evil lightsaber is going to be a moment for that character to be like you know, well. So I killed a bunch of kids, I killed my wife, I'm a horrible cyborg monster, and now I'm making an evil sword. Like, you know, seeing how that's going to, like, the thought process through all that, sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, not fun, not for him, <laughs> but entertaining for us. And I guess if that's true, if they are, like, hurting the crystals, what does that say about uh, Kylo Ren's saber? Yeah, and his ridiculous... I hmm. I don't know all the details. I'm under the impression that crystal was given to him and that it's cracked or something. I don't know for sure. Interesting. Yeah. Either way, those comics, they think they're still a bit of a ways out. I believe it's June. June. But based on the last run, I mean, like, everybody loves Darth Vader, and the last run of this was fantastic. There's no reason to believe this will be anything less but than phenomenal. So it's on the list. We'll probably mention it if it's good or bad, but this is probably something you should look into yourself. Number two... <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons Beyond. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, if you don't know what it is, you've heard of it. It's a game that people play with lots of paper and pencils. We had a top five list about it. And you should have listened to it. It was yeah, a blast. come on. Where were you? But 
that's the stereotype. I mean, like, yes, sometimes there's the figures we saw in Stranger Things, but everyone's keeping track of those characters on reams of notebook paper with erasers and pencil. Like, my D&D box at home has a pencil sharpener in it. Um, because Man, I really want to wedge you now. Yeah, yeah. I got that a lot <laughs> from you. Um, but, no, Dungeons & Dragons, the, the Dungeons & Dragons Beyond is the first official companion app that's come out for Dungeons & Dragons. They call it a digital tool set, and it's in beta now. What does that mean? It means that now you're going to keep track of all that stuff on your phone. And when you think about it, a lot of that game is spent digging through your papers going, like, how far can I cast Mage Hand? Like, right. It's, it's 10 meters, but I have my staff. Like, Hold on, where's my page of my staff? That's all going to be taken care of. Like that, um, that seems like it would really take you out of the experience. It depends. I like, guess it, so. Yeah, it depends. Because that is the experience. That is the experience <laughs> for a lot of people. And that's what part of the reaction that this announcement has had. My initial reaction was, well, back in my day, right. we didn't even have figures to play Dungeons & Dragons with. You know, the, the characters were M&Ms. And you drew the maps on graph paper. Now, to me, as as someone who's not much of a D&D player, this makes it sound more appealing. Like, part of the problem I have in getting into D&D is it's just, it's daunting how much stuff you need to play it. At least from an outsider perspective. But to have everything on your phone and just... Have it all at your fingertips, at your command. It's all right there. Yeah, That's very appealing. And knowing how things work. You know, we see, and they released a trailer for it, which is yeah. a little silly, but okay. But we see them, like, he looks up a spell. And, like, how far can this spell go? Sometimes that can take a long time. If you, all that's in the phone and the app knows, I guess you could probably also run it on a tablet or something. But let's right. Just, but if it's on your device and the app knows, it's going to be able to hit five squares. Yeah. <laughs> like, that simplifies a lot of it. I also uh, like the fact that it comes with a character builder. Like, that seems... I, I feel like I could buy this and just keep building characters and have the fun of, like, creating these different looks and, and styles of character. That's true. Yeah, if, if you're into the customizing, you don't actually have to play the game. You can just keep telling the phone that you leveled up at the end of that night session yeah. and pick all your new powers and stuff. <laughs> it's definitely got that... I mean, like I mentioned, it has that back-in-my-day thing. And it's also the point where... It feels like it's kind of blurring the lines between game types. Like, you know, there's video games, which you play with a Nintendo controller, and there's board games, and then Dungeons and Dragons, I guess, really occupies a third category as a pen and paper game. Like that's how I would describe it. Yeah. You know, when you say a board game, you think Monopoly. You don't think something like D and D. Which a role playing game like that where so much of it is in your head. Yeah. So much of it's I mean, especially with something like D and D where you can play it literally without a board, so calling it a board game is a bit of a misnomer. Exactly. So, I mean, and let's be clear, I don't agree with this opinion, but I know some people are saying, well, if you have the app anyway, why not just play the whole thing in a video game? Why not just play, you know, Dragon Age on PlayStation? Uh, yeah, they have a PS4 version of Dragon <laughs> Age. The way I see it is that what makes Dungeons & Dragons different from just a video game is that, the you know, the imagination component. Yeah. Where so much of it is happening, it's what's happening in your head, and it's what's happening as a natural result of you talking to your companions and your friends, and building this shared mind space together that you can't do in a video game. In a video game, someone's got to draw the tree, someone's got to draw the monster, and they draw the, like, then here's the 10 by 10 box that your character is allowed to walk through. Adding the app doesn't take away from that. Like, the app isn't going to be displaying, you know, the world for you. It's just giving you the tools you need to interact with it more naturally, which sounds red. Mm -hmm. I'm on board. One of the other things that I was reading about this is that there was a concern that 
it would be hard to implement sort of house rules and your own sort of tweaks and twists to the the rules of D&D, which is a big part. Like every every group has their own little twists on how things work. But they've said that they are, have opened it up for sort of homebrew modding to make it uh, make it work for what your rules are, which I think is a great thing to do. I would say it's necessary. Yeah, that's you know, I mean, you don't all like the rules are, but unless you have like a real rules lawyer of a DM, the rules are guidelines. The point of the game is to have fun. I mean, really, that's something else that you can do besides video games. Like if the players are stuck on this boss that they fought a hundred times, you can cut them a break if you're a dungeon master, right? If you're playing a video game, you know, a Ninja Gaiden or a Dark Souls, you don't get to, you don't, no breaks cut. No. You can put in cheats. <laughs> so, in any case, in case it's, for those of you who are more D&D hardcore, yes, it is for 5th edition only. Sorry, there's no 3.5. Or, unless you're me, the only person in the world who liked 4E. There's no 4E. It's just the latest version of D&D because, of course it is. That's the one they're trying to sell. Yeah. Um, I imagine it won't take long for people to mod it to suit the old rule books. And the fact of the matter is, if you're interested in that sort of thing, there's a bunch of third-party tools <laughs> already out that you can get to do it. By getting the official one, it, you know, that, that, that's pretty cool. And it's, it's, it's neat that they're taking it in that direction. It's really going to improve the gameplay, I think. That sounds great to me. All right, number one on our list. What is The Matrix? Well, it, it, that is a good question. <laughs> Did anyone just get, like, 90s goosebumps? Yeah. Um, it, what is The Matrix is changing. The Matrix, up until this very moment, was one movie that we really, really liked. And it's a shame that there were never any good sequels for it. <laughs> um, and But, hey, you know, they probably couldn't have done much more with that story anyway. So best that it was kept. <laughs> no, are we going too far with this? Too far, too far. Okay, so released in 1999... The Matrix was an unexpected sci-fi success. Oh, and what a success. What an amazing movie. Changed the world. Yeah. It introduced bullet time to everybody. Every People still wear black trench coats. Yeah. Like, that's just... It, it's The Matrix. I, I can't imagine you don't know what, what we're talking about when we say <laughs> The Matrix. Why are we talking about The Matrix? Because WB wants to do more of it. Yeah, apparently uh, Zach Penn, one of the writers of X2, the, the second X-Men movie, is on board as the writer of this. And... There was some awkward wording in one of the original stories about it that made it sound like it was going to be a, a remake or a reboot. And he was very clear it's more of a relaunch. Now, what is the distinguishing thing between all those words? A remake or a reboot means they're starting fresh. That the other stuff is going away and this is going to be a new start. Whereas a relaunch means that that stuff probably will still count. Yeah, it's like that, so it's still in the canon. It still happened. Yeah. Um, which I guess means it can't take place after the Matrix. Because yes, there were three Matrix movies, and they definitely ended. Yeah. So it will probably take place. Like it could be something like a side story. I don't. Or I, focus on other characters. I remember in the the second and third ones, they, they it was all talk about how it's a cycle and it's uh, just oh, so maybe it's one of the other cycles. Maybe yeah. it's one of the other ones. That's that interesting. Be? It's possible. I they don't could do know. that. They're saying that uh, Michael B. Jordan is is being considered to play the lead. Whoever, yeah, I definitely misread that when I started. <laughs> Michael Jordan's going to star in the in the Matrix. This is the first big movie since Space Jam. They must have really liked that movie. Would you not want to see the final battle between man and machine settled on the court? 
<laughs> Definitely, especially if Bill Murray cameos again. But no, who's Michael B. Jordan? So he, he was on The Wire. He uh, he was a real it guy for a while. He was in this um, popular indie movie called Fruitvale Station. Uh, and then he kind of lost a lot of goodwill when he played the Human Torch in the terrible Fantastic oh, Four movie. Oh, in Fantastic Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But he's also going to be in in the Black Panther movie, so maybe that'll that'll get his you know, you know his cachet back up. So one of the things he was uh, the the writer was clear on is that whoever they cast, it won't be replacing Keanu Reeves. He said that if he was going to recast Keanu Reeves, he would cast Keanu Reeves, which is an interesting thing of saying, but yeah, uh, way of saying it. But yeah, that's that's uh, good to hear anyway. I I think because like. Can't replace Keanu yeah. Reeves. Ne- yeah, Keanu Reeves is Neo. Like that's like I don't know that you can even acknowledge him as Keanu Reeves anymore. That's who, well, I guess John Wick. He's yeah. creating a new thing for himself. But yeah, that character is set in stone. Would... It sounds like it's the story. Like the only way to do this is to not involve that character. Is to not involve Neo. But Keanu Reeves was actually approached. Like, what do you think about the Matrix? And he was. <laughs> Actually, his response is kind of funny. Like, he, he mentioned that the Wachowski siblings would have to be involved, which, as far as we know, they're not involved with this yet, but it's still very early. But I liked his quote. He said, um, they would have to write and direct it, and then we'd see what the story is. But yeah, I don't know. That'd be weird, but why not? <laughs> it's very cannery. Yeah, so, I love it. So, I love so, it. so it sounds like he's totally on board. <laughs> 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 or just like, really tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's get down to the meat of this. One of the things that they referenced was the Animatrix, which was a, a straight-to-DVD sort of group of short It was originally cartoons. released on the web. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the Matrix. Right, yeah. right. So it was like a bunch of shorts about different characters in that world. And that is sort of, it sounds like it's a touchstone for this, which makes me think it'll be sort of maybe co- concurrent to, to the original movies. But I don't know, personally... I don't have much interest in seeing more of that world. It's not like Mad Max or Star Wars where the world is so rich. I want to see what else is out there. I feel like I got what I wanted. Yeah, out of the, the, Matrix. The, the Matrix world is very small because it's about Neo. Yeah, like it's very much about the character. Like, no, like no one else is interested in what other kinds of crazy computer monsters there are. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. They they. Are there any others? Is it all just going to be Agent Smiths or other agents, I guess, fighting other people from different ships? It's like, I, I'm not interested in that. And that story is is such a epic story that encompasses the fate of that entire world in the original. Everything else is going to feel like small potatoes. Yeah, like if another person suddenly realizes they're in the Matrix and then gets unplugged from it, we've seen that already. Yeah. So how do you do that again and make it interesting? Um, no, we're not saying that we can't, but yeah, it sounds like that's a heck of a challenge. Like basically, what we're saying is, do we need more Matrix? Mm-hmm. And you know, we would argue that Matrix, you know, Revolutions and you know, re- uh, Reloaded, Reloaded, and mm-hmm. Revolutions just say no, that yeah. we don't need any more Matrix. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, technology's come a long way since then. Like the the blend between machine and program. Not as separate as it used to be. So there's other th- there's neat things that could be explored there philosophically. And the other thing, I, I, this is probably going to be a controversial point. Uh, I don't see the point of doing it without the Wachowskis involved. And I know you could probably say the same thing about Star Wars. Like, how do you do Star Wars without George Lucas? But I feel like he built such a rich world that it's a, a sandbox for people to play. And there's so many different areas of that that universe that were unexplored in the original movies that it leaves a, a, a lot wide open. Yeah, whereas the Matrix, there's the destroyed future and the underground caves there. And then robot tunnels. And then the Matrix itself, which is our world. Yeah. Which, 
We've already seen. Yeah. I just so there's not a lot of room. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. For good or ill. Any case, that's all the news that's fit to well not print, but to talk about this week. Um, one interesting thing, um, we if you've listened to the last episode, we had our sort of our great debate, our geek deep dive on patching movies. Um, we've gotten a lot of responses from that on both sides of the fences. One of them came from Geek Top 5 alumnus Brad Dworkin, who actually went just so interested in the issue that he recorded a sort of rebuttal, or at least comment, as things. so let's take a look at that and just listen to what he has to say. Hey Geek Top 5, it's Brad here. I was listening to your latest episode and I felt like I had to come and respond. Uh, during the deep dive, Jesse kept saying that the artist is going back to improve upon things. And yeah, sometimes it's not the artist, but the studio meddling. But I think what the conversation was missing was where the audience fits into all this. When you make a piece of art, whether it be a movie or a video game, you make a promise to the audience. You give me your time and money and I'll give you the best I can do. When you go back and remake something, you say, come back and give me your time again. Or sometimes, give me your money again. I'll fix it. It's basically saying to the audience, hey, remember how you paid me $80 for that game and then spent 40 to 50 hours playing it? Well, that was crap. Give me another 40 to 50 hours. Why should I? Why should your audience give you another chance? Maybe we liked what you did. Maybe we didn't. But you wear out the trust. Suddenly, people don't buy on day one. Suddenly, they wait for the extended cut instead of seeing it in theaters. You're basically making the audience wary, and I think that's problematic for your industry, basically. Uh, the only exception being games or art that have been designed to be ever-evolving in some way. But again, you have to make that an explicit part of the initial promise when you promote and deliver the work. Anyway, love what you guys do. Hope to come on the show again soon. Thanks. So, a lot of ideas to, t uh, to sum up at one time, but essentially saying, are you creating distrust by setting a precedent where your initial return on the audience investment doesn't have to be the best one. And I think he's got a point because I'm already doing that to some extent with video games. It's like, I'll wait a year or two years before getting a video game and just get the complete edition instead of getting it on day one and having to wait through patches and patches and patches and expansion packs till it's finally complete. On the other hand, you signed up for Amazon Prime specifically so you could get your Mass Effect delivered on release day. Well, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a complicated argument. Um, we haven't settled it, and we still love having it. So that's an interesting point, something we hadn't considered. So thank you, Brad. And folks, if you have any other comments on that or still on the original argument, please let us know. Anything else to add to the debate? We'd love to bring it back onto the show. If we get enough responses, maybe we'll revisit it and see where we are with a bunch of new, more heads in it, into the game. In the meantime, that's been the news and a little bit extra for Geek Top 5. We'll be right back with our next segment, so please stay tuned. This is Robert Picardo, the emergency holographic medical doctor from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Geek Top 5. Welcome to the second half of Geek Top 5. We're here at the Toronto Comic Con, and we're going to get some quick hits, some quick top fives from people. Hopefully this will be the start of a trend of us doing some live stuff at conventions. We'll see how it goes. Pray for us. And hey, we might see you here. Here. Now, nah, it's weird with the time thing, but we might see you or talk to you, and you might hear you when we saw you when we talked to you here. Let's see what we got. All right, we've got a friend of the show, Jim Zub, here. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're good. doing good. Good to see you again. Always good to see an alumnus of the Geek Top 5 program <laughs> of excellence. Yes, <laughs> a graduate of, of the Geek Top 5 school of uh, geekdom yes. thing. Hey, Geek Top 5 or 8. Geek hey. 
fivery. So uh, why don't you give us a quick top five Canadian superheroes list? All right. We're here at Toronto Comic-Con, and it's the per- permeated with the spirit of the North. I can smell and, it, yeah. And sequential art. A little bit of Tim Hortons. We are ready for a top yes. five Canadian superheroes. And whatever any other creator tells you today, this is the true top five list. Now, no list of Canadian superheroes would be complete without Wolverine. So, he will take the number five spot on our list. Wow. just yeah. barely. Yeah, Wolverine, he gets in there, you know, because uh, under his original... You know, creation. He was in Canada. Then later on, Marvel tried to drag him back to America and gave him the name James and all that stuff. That was he was born in Alberta and that I origin like James thing. James as name and stuff, but <laughs> Logan is is the name that he needs to go by. So Wolverine still holds it for me at number five. Number four, just because when I was a kid, I thought Snowbird was really cool. She could turn into a bunch of multiple animals and like kick people's butts. She's, and she's from Alpha Flight, right? Yeah, Alpha Flight. Right. Sure, and I know Marvel is an American publisher, but still. But Alpha, Alpha Flight, Flight was like their Canadian division, right? That's right, that's right. And he's, uh, Alpha Flight was created by John Byrne. Yeah. Canadian gentleman, so he, go. he's got some credit. Okay, and so then Alpha Flight takes the whole middle of this thing. <laughs> I do have a, a big Marvel bent in my life. So number three is Puck, mostly because his name is Puck. And <laughs> that's that's a Canadian enough. That's yeah. as Canadian. That's kind of like hockey. Yeah, no, it's super <laughs> hockey like, and uh, that you could get away with calling a, a, a little guy puck and have him totally kick ass. I think uh, puck is a powerful, and people may argue they're like, really, he's overtaking Wolverine on this list, and I'm like, don't mess with puck. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Don't about. puck with him. Don't. Wow, really? Sorry, yeah, we sorry, went there. Guys, we went there. Sorry. It was good. <laughs> Number two, uh, Captain Canuck. Created by Canadians, published by Canadians. Yes, has a Canadian Captain America kind of a bent, but particularly the new Captain Canuck is actually really uh, beautifully designed, and I think they're doing great stuff with it, and it exemplifies a lot of those Canadian qualities, uh, you know, in a, in a really fun way. I'm so curious. What are the Canadian qualities that he exemplifies? So, you know, Captain Canuck is the kind of guy, he doesn't bring conflict. He tries to stop conflict. You know, he defends he he's looks, a peacekeeper. He's a peacekeeper. He's a protector, uh, you know, and a stalwart kind of guy doing what's right and, you know, upholding kind of the Canadian ideals. I like it. Yeah. All right, so what's number one? It's got to be Freelance. Ah. Freelance, the character I'm writing for Chapter F. <laughs> what a coincidence. What an incredible coincidence. But here's what's great. You're like, who is Freelance? And that's what makes him so Canadian. Because no one ever remembers that this character is actually Canadian. And that's the most Canadian thing of all. When you have a celebrity that's in the U.S. and they don't know that that guy is Canadian, you know, like your Mike Myers or yeah. whatever, they're like, Michael J. Guy, Fox. Yeah, that guy's Canadian. You're like, that is the most Canadian thing. That a dude is going all over the world, saving people and doing awesome stuff, and no one even knows they're Canadian. I Total, can accept that. There you go. So the, the truest, most Canadian thing you can be is being an idealistic, wonderful person who completely blends into the background. I like it. Yeah. So thank you very much for the list. Where can people find your stuff? Well, if you go to uh, jimzub.com, so J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. True Canadian. we're in Canada. You will find all kinds of great tutorials about writing comics, and you'll find out what I'm doing for Marvel, IDW, Image, and Chapter House, proud publishers of Freelance. And Freelance is on the stands. We can find it. It is. Issue 1 just came out a few weeks ago, and Issue 2 should be arriving soon. 
sounds fantastic. I, I know I want to take a look. Yeah. Even before this. So that would have been <laughs> great. Jim Zub, thank you once again for joining us. Have a wonderful Comic-Con. Thank you. And I'm Jesse. He's Grand. We'll be right back with more. <laughs> All right, we're here at the Toronto Comic-Con. We found Baze from Rogue One wandering around here. Guardian of the Wills. Uh, are you okay revealing your secret identity with us, or are you just going to stick with Baze? We'll stick with Baze. Fair okay. enough. <laughs> so uh, we were wondering if you could uh, w- you have, give us a top five list, like top five favorite Star Wars whatevers. Let's go with characters. Characters, all right, cool. I guess. Um, I guess, well, obviously one of them is Baze. Really, I really dug him uh, even before I saw the film like uh, the screen caps and um, he's got a cool bit, look bits of the trailer um, he's definitely got the anti like he's, he's definitely got the Star Wars like it's everything's used everything's sort of cobbled together he's, yeah. he, he's seen this you know he's seen some shit I, I, I like I like the grizzled veteran sort of look about him I'm also like I'm a sucker for for like the bromances, the two best friends. So like Chewrut and, and Baze together. Yeah, is that's, that's another thing. I love the contrast of those two. And um, personally, I would lean more towards uh, being a Baze myself. Clearly, uh, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but yeah, like uh, those two as a pair, it's I don't know. I, I just really loved it. All right, what's number four? Number four. Let's go with uh, Luke Skywalker. Uh, he has. I think he's always been my um, my top favorite Jedi. He's got the green lightsaber. I I dig the green. Yeah. Um, he blew up the first Death Star. Yeah. I also uh, met uh, Mark Hamill. No kidding. Uh, last year, um, and I was dressed as another character who I will say is my number three. Uh, so number three, Lando Calrissian. Ah. Uh, the smoothest cat in the galaxy. Uh, I also dress up as him. Okay. Uh, I'll be dressing up as him uh, tomorrow. He, too, blew up a Death Star, which uh, a lot of people like to overlook. Um, it's true. They're, they're all about, like, oh, he betrayed Han and stuff. Like, yes, but for, you know, the, the, good, of his, good? the good of his people. Like, he wanted to save Cloud City from, you know, rule of the Empire. He, he cut a deal, and he made up for it by blowing up a Death Star. And blowing up a Death Star makes up for a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to beat. The second one. A bigger one. A, a bigger Death Star. Not the biggest nowadays. Thank you, Force Awakens. But... <laughs> so you must be pretty psyched for for the new Han Solo movie, right? With the the return of Lando. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to see what they what they do with that. Um, Donald Glover, like he's he's smooth, smooth cat himself. <laughs> uh, as a young Lando, that's that's gonna be a that's gonna be fun. It's gonna to be watch. rad. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's not get too far off. What's number two? Number two, I would go for R two D two. Oh, wow. okay. Cool choice. Cool. He he has seen it all. Yeah, R2 has been through everything, and I'm pretty sure he's keeping track of everything. Um, he's just not telling everyone. <laughs> so from your perspective, like when he's getting all sarcastic in the beeps, it's just because he's a cranky old man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's been through things. So... In Force Awakens, when he spends most of the movie asleep, I mean, that must have been a dagger to your heart. <laughs> that was, that was nap time. That yeah. was R2's nap time. When you get to be our people, our age, we have to take naps every once in a while. Yeah, like droids need rest too, right? And sometimes you just can't put up with it. And you're like, ah, forget it, I'm going to my room, you know? All right, what's number one? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Vader, Darth Vader. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. His his story, the transition from that little kid to this legend, 
of, a, of an individual, you know, known throughout the galaxy that, I don't know, there, it's, it's hard to beat. I don't know about well, you, but I got to say that final scene in Rogue One has sort of leapt to the top of Vader moments. That is that, a pretty cool yeah, scene. I got goosebumps. Yeah. My, my goosebumps were shooting through my clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was, it was that badass. <laughs> Quickly, can we ask? Like, what's it? It's like some of this is cardboard, some of this is foam. What's yep. the... Um, so I made this in two weeks, nonstop work. Wow. Uh, so a majority of it is cardboard, and uh, it's covered with foam. So this is foam. Um, so these are like the floor mats that you can find at Walmart or um, yeah, anywhere like, where the, yeah where where fine foam products are sold. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. uh, and also some craft foam. I don't want to overstep my bounds, but can I touch it? Oh, just the of course. Thank you. Wow. The That's repeating cool. Baze's heavy repeating blaster. Thank you. I don't want to yeah. risk causing I, I any damage. I honestly but. wish I could make the sound because like it's <laughs> oh, yeah. like the, the sound that they made for, for his blaster is just so cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like when we he was ripping through those uh, stormtroopers, uh saving Chirrut. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I I thought that was pretty badass too. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of firsts uh, for this, like this is the first time I made a jumpsuit uh, from scratch because wow. I couldn't find one in the appropriate color. Right. So I had to make one myself. Um, the backpack is uh, actually dollar store buckets that I glued together and some aluminum tape. Painted and, and distressed. Yep. Uh, a lot of a lot of distressing, a lot of weathering, which is kind of what I live for. Um, like, I love building stuff just to make it look old <laughs> and, like, beaten up and stuff. A true Star Wars fan. Uh, the the chimney at the back is actually a pool noodle that, oh, I, that I covered with um, craft foam. So, yeah, a lot of uh, really uh, low-budget uh, bits here. Well, it doesn't show. It looks great. Wow, thank you. Um, that means a lot to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, if, if, you mentioned you also have a Lando costume. Obviously, you've been doing this kind of stuff for a bit. Do you post any of this stuff anywhere? Is there anywhere that people who listen to the show could go to to see any of these? Yeah. Um, so on Instagram, a majority of my stuff is posted there. So I would be um, the Josh Time. So T H E J O S H T I M E. Okay. Nice. Uh, and I also have. Uh, I also put it up on on Twitter. So those are like the main two places that. Uh, you can see some of my work, and I'll definitely be posting a base soon, as soon as I can, because there's a lot of people who've been wondering about my secret cosplay. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, check out the Josh Time on Instagram and Twitter. Sounds great. We'll take a look. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Geek Top 5, we'll be back with more. Hello, we're back. This is uh, Mr. Andrew Wheeler, who's with us. Uh, what, uh, what do people know you from? So uh, they should know me from two projects, the, uh, the book Another Castle with Polina Ganeshaw from Oni Press, which uh, just came out in trade paperback, which is a fabulous feminist princess butt-kicking adventure, mm-hmm. and uh, freelance from Chapter House, with, uh, co-written with Jim Zob and uh, illustrated by Veneda Veriak, which is a uh, globetrotting pulp superhero adventure. Fantastic. So we're going to ask you a very uh, exciting list, considering what you're working on right now, uh-huh. what are your top five favorite Canadian superheroes. And I've uh, given it some thought. I, we know. It's uh, <laughs> extensive. <laughs> it's like you've got to, I feel it's an important question, especially for me as, a, as a, an immigrant to this great nation. I want to show due deference to, to the rich history of Canadian superheroes. I appreciate it. It'll be a good contrast with the other <laughs> Canadian superhero list we've got. <laughs> uh, Jim let everyone down again, did he? Yeah, yeah. 
he'll do that. Um, <laughs> let's see. So on my list, I'm going to start with Freelance because I'm writing him. Good call. He is a great Canadian superhero. He's a pretty obscure one, but he does represent a lot of the things I love about superheroes. He's the sort of Doc Savage, Brock Windsor-style sort of uh, um, classic sort of adventure hero, the, the sort of pulp era um, when superheroes weren't quite superheroes. He sort of represents that, that great sort of like globetrotting era. The peak of humanity versus superpowers, Exactly. Right? I mean, you know, he's, he's a little more super than, than that in our version, but, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a lot of fun to write, and he's, his adventures were always that sort of, you know, socking Nazis in the jaw kind of stuff, which everyone loves, right? Mm. All right, so what else you got? Uh, what else have I got? Okay, so uh, another one from the, the, the golden age of, of Canadian heroes, Nelvana of the Northern Lights. Right. I remember when they put out a bunch of Canadian superhero stamps. She was one of the ones. She was on one that. of them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And she there was recently uh, an attempt to bring a bunch of her books back into print. So there was a lovely nice. uh, collected edition of that. And she's sort of the basis of, of uh, Snowbird in Alpha Flight. She's she's one of those sort of mystical, magical characters. And she has this cool fur trimmed miniskirt costume and, and a crown, which is a great look. It's very chic, very on brand. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I have the hips for it myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't noticed any cosplayers wearing it, but, uh, it's, but it's a great look. It's true. We've got to bring it back. Absolutely. All, All right. right, I'll go change. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic, Mr. Monster. Mr. Monster? I don't know that one. He, uh, well, he got revived, actually. Uh, I forget the name of the guy that did it, but, but there's, a, there's a sort of son of Mr. Monster that's uh, published out of Dark Horse. But the original Mr. Monster ran for a very short time, but it was this, this sort of paranormal investigator who had this just amazing costume with little goggles and a skull cap and a, and a skull face on his, on his shirt. So it's mostly the character design that I love about him. Okay. And the fact that he's called Mr. Monster. It's a great I mean, name. You can't go wrong with that, right? Did he, was he a monster or did he fight monsters? He fought monsters, okay. but I think maybe there was something else going on there. Like, it, it, the story ran for like about five chapters, and like for the first three of them, he didn't even call himself Mr. Monster. <laughs> and I feel like something great was about to happen. And then, I don't know, it all just collapsed. It's tough biz. It's yeah. a tough biz. Are you saying like maybe there was a Deckard thing going on? Like maybe deep underground? Okay. I, think, I think maybe. Maybe, okay. he, maybe Matt is the real monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. always the cool. way it goes. Um, I'm going to throw out a Marvel Canadian superhero. It's allowed. It's, he's Canadian. I, I guess his creator was Canadian. Uh, North Star of Alpha Flight. Right. Because it was a, as, as a, a gay comics fan, he was a big, important character for me. He was the first big superhero to come out of the closet. Was he an inspiration for freelance in that regard? He, you know, he set the groundwork for, for us to do a, a gay superhero book today. You know, it, North Star is the, is the first one that tried to say, hey, this is okay. And, right. and then the industry basically said, oh, we don't think so, um, <laughs> and did nothing with him for the next 20 years. So, you know, it's right. not the happiest story. And the issue he came out in is pretty bad. Well, but but <laughs> they, what about the issue he got married in? Well, again, I'm not a big fan of marrying off gay superheroes. It oh, just okay. takes them off the market for having the sort of romantic stories that that's true that you want to have superheroes have. Well, know? but they could always make a deal with the devil and magically ignore their, their marriage, right? That's what it seems. <laughs> that's to be. a great idea. Uh, yeah. Why has nobody thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> if it has already happened, I don't remember because the devil raised my memory. There you go. Exactly. Uh, terrible thing. What a business. Um, and for my fifth, I'm going to go with another chapter house hero. Pitiful Human Lizard. Really? That is a hell of a name, like it's, Mr. Monster. It's an awesome character. It's a creation of Jason Liu, who you will find at the other end of this hall. Okay. And he is sort of the uh, down-on-his-luck Canadian Spider-Man. He's a, he's a guy in a lizard costume, lives in Toronto, just trying to make his way in the world, and he's sort of a, he's a bit of a sad sack. He's a bit of an anxiety-ridden, everyday guy. Um, and Jason is the, the writer, artist, creator... Uh, mastermind behind the books um, nice. and it's it's a great book it's well worth checking out 
awesome. Yeah, we may see if we can get a hold of him. Yeah. You should do that. Well, thank you very much. Thank uh, you so much. Where where can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Wheeler. I managed to get my own surname. It's a good place to, to, to come and get me. That's lucky. Uh, you must have gotten there early. I was pretty early, yeah, yeah. I think that one's contested. You know, people want it. <laughs> Uh, but I will never sell. <laughs> um, and uh, my website's andrewwheeler.co.uk, but it's not updated very often. So, so Twitter's probably the best place to, to drop by. And you can find out more about um, freelance at Chapter House's website, which I think is chapterhouse.ca. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. And in addition to freelance, you also mentioned the other thing you would brought. We talked to Jim a bit about freelance too, but you yeah. also mentioned the... Um, Another Castle from Oni Press. That's um, it. Illustrated by, by Polina Ganeshow. So that one is available from Oni and from all good bookstores right now. Uh, five issues uh, collected in a single volume, so it's all done in one. You can buy it today, enjoy it. Satisfying story of women uh, killing monsters. Yeah, I saw the, the tag on it. It was, what if Princess Peach was Princess Leia? Yeah. Is that, okay. That's, that's, I like the, it. that's yeah. the elevator pitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got me. I'm intrigued. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Wheeler. Thank we you so much. It. And Geek Top 5 at Toronto Comic Con, and we'll be right back with more. Back at uh, Toronto Comic Con, and uh, we've got a, a Final Fantasy character with us at the moment. Aranea Highway, yes? Yep, that's correct. Fantastic. The costume's great. I have a bunch of questions for it. Okay. But... Gimmick of the show is we try to get to people who are passionate about this kind of thing, get yep. their top five lists. You have anything along the lines of top five Final Fantasies or even just top five chapters out of 15? Uh, top five Final Fantasies. Let's say seven's number one. That's fair. I, I yeah. can subscribe to that. Um, eight and ten are kind of tied for me. Really? Yes. I always found eight a little tricky because of the junctioning. I enjoyed that. Okay. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to say... Mm, I'm going to push ten to number two. Just because of the HD remake. Okay, that's fair. Uh, and then I guess eight's number three for me, and then fifteen's uh, going to be number four. Really? Yes. Okay. So, you know, the Choker Bros don't quite beat out Tidus and Yuna? No. There is nothing that beats that story. <laughs> that's, okay. Aside from seven. So have you had a chance to like completely clear fifteen? Like, you feel I'm confident in it? I'm almost done. I'm like... So what if it falls <laughs> off in that last little bit? <laughs> I've got, like, the last boss, and that's okay. it. Okay. So. Okay. So we got to come find you again after the ending, because... Might change my Yeah, my exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, and what's the last one in there, just to complete oh, it? Oh, last one. Let's think. A lot of people are going to say six. Yeah, I'm pushing for six, yeah. yeah. Let's say six. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right, so while we're talking about 15, obviously that's sort of the the, 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 the jour. Yep. So why Aranea? Because she's badass. I love her costume. I love dragoons. I love everything about her. It's, it's true. You don't see a lot of the other job classes yeah, come through yeah, in 15, yeah. do you? Yeah, no, you don't really. Fantastic. Uh, obviously, we'll want to get a shot to post on with the episode. We can yeah. tell us a little bit about all this works, and I notice the staff is lighting up. And yeah, uh, so that's just LED bulb. There's a 9-volt battery attached to it. Cool. Uh, and the entirety of the costume is pretty much craft foam wrapped in Orbla. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm hearing a lot about craft foam. I think people are a lot more talented with it than I yes. am. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it actually heats up. Um, pretty well, and you can actually mold it. Okay. Pretty well. Wow. So, I mean, I did this piece straight ca- straight craft foam mm-hmm. uh, to my dress form, and then I covered it with warbler to make it stronger. Ah, okay. Which is a I don't know if you're familiar with warbler. It's a thermal plastic. Heat it up. You can stretch it. You can mold it. You can. Then it cools hard and. We're not Voila. really familiar with real life. If it's not in a video yeah. game, it's <laughs> sort of... <laughs> what we're looking for is, it's Mithril. It's made of yeah. Mithril. Yeah. Yes. 
Fair enough. Well, it looks fantastic. Thanks Thank so much for, for joining us and getting the content. We just want to get a quick shot. But yeah, of I mean, obviously, this is super pro. I assume you've done it once or twice before. Oh, absolutely. Do you post this kind of stuff? Is there anywhere people can go to see it? Uh, I have an Instagram account. It's where I mostly post things. Uh, it's Bin Rand. Can you spell it? B I N R A N D. Fantastic. Cool. Get it on there. We'll make the link so people can take a look. All right, awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Geek Top 5, Toronto Comic Con. We'll be right back. So we're still at Toronto Comic Con, and we've got the incredible, legendary Ty Templeton with us. Well, I love that I'm incredible and legendary. It's few people get both. No, I know. Legendary, actually, I learned a while ago, legendary is what you get if you live long enough and not die. <laughs> that if, <laughs> that at, at about the 25-year period in your career, that's when you suddenly go from veteran, which is what you get just before legendary. There's an actual, there's an actual hierarchy. First, what it's after legendary. After legendary, I think it's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're legendary until you're dead, but you're a veteran from about 15 to 25, and then if you actually continue to have a career after 25, you automatically get legendary, <laughs> just because you're not dead. Well, I'm sure he meant it in the most complimentary way possible, <laughs> sure. rather than the. Well. <laughs> so, where can people see your stuff? Comic stores. Find comic okay. stores everywhere. Uh, I work on so many different things; it seems almost silly to start making a list. Uh, right now, I'm uh, doing covers for uh, Dynamite Spirit comic series. Uh, I just did a cover for uh, the Legion of Superheroes. Um, I'm, I did a bunch of Evil Dead stuff last year, which was fun. Um, uh, oh, uh, the incredible, sorry, the um, uh, totally awesome Hulk issue that's out right now is mine. Nice. Um, and I'm working on a super secret project with one of the most iconic characters in comic history that I can't tell you about or my publisher will slap me. <laughs> So, one of the characters, speaking of iconic Golden Age characters, you're probably best known for your work on Batman, so we were wondering if uh, you could give us a top five Batman villains list. Sure! Uh, a top five Batman villains. Uh, do I go from five to one or one to five? I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go from one to five. Uh, my favorite Batman villain in the world, uh, me personally, is probably Two-Face, because I love the idea that he is a good guy or a bad guy, depending on the luck of the draw. And uh, when I wrote Two-Face stories, I always made a point of making him 50% good. Because everybody makes him evil or more evil, and I always sort of, that bothered me. So um, I had stories where, uh, I had a story where uh, Two-Face flipped the coin and took a bullet for Batman because the coin told him to. Nice. And, uh, and as he's sitting there bleeding, he jumps in front of the bullet for Batman. And as he's sitting there bleeding at the story, Batman thanks me. He goes, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the coin. Like, <laughs> to me, that kind of madness was really fun to write. Cool. Uh, my second favorite character, and by the way, I'm completely selfish about this. These are my favorite characters to write, as opposed to my favorite characters to read. Right. Uh, and my second favorite character to write was Raish, uh, Raish Al Ghul, because Raish uh, genuinely believes he's saving the world, and that's a great character because. Yes, a few million of you have to die, but the world that will be left for the rest of us will be fabulous. <laughs> and so, uh, you know. He, he, Everybody is the hero of their own story, but for most of the supervillains in the world, it's hard to believe they're the hero of their own story. Yeah. But Raish actually believes he's saving humanity. And so every time he plants a bomb to kill 12 million people, he's going, history will remember me well for this. And I always thought that was a great character to write. Uh, then after him, I loved uh, writing the Joker because madness and chaos and bears, oh my. And, and also, because whenever I wrote the Joker, I got to have Harley Quinn on stage because I was writing the animated book and Harley and, and Joker were a couple. Right. So I, I kind of didn't do Joker stories by himself. So they were, they were you know, heart to heart. It was a, it was a lovely pairing whenever I did them. Uh, so we're only going to count that as one, though. 
Okay, that's right. Fair. But Joker and Harley, just what? As a couple. As Got a it. couple, yeah. And uh, then Riddler, because uh, there is nothing more fun than uh, uh, writing Riddler riddles. Uh, to figure out a, a crime that you can then create a riddle around. I always thought that would be the hardest thing as no, a writer. No, it's the first thing I would do. Every time I knew I had a Riddler story, I have a book at home called The Big Book of Kids' Riddles. And the point of it was I wanted the riddles to be based on childish, dumb riddles, but at the same time uh, have a complicated under-riddle under to it because he's always got two riddles going at once. And uh, one of my favorite Riddler stories I wrote was uh, a series of riddles that, and, that all ended with an answer that eventually formed into a second riddle. Which is, like, one of the riddles ends with the word Laika, who was the dog that Russia sent up into space. And one of the riddles ended with the words, uh, with a writing desk that was uh, in a window of an antique store. And the whole thing was every riddle ended up being a part of the riddle, why is a raven like a writing desk? And that's where Laika came in. And why is a raven like a writing desk is the unanswered riddle from Alice in Wonderland. So, to me, I love building these complicated Chinese uh, boxes or Russian nesting dolls that every riddle actually leads to a second riddle. To me, that was the great fun of the riddle. Man. And that it, it, in my version of the Riddler, the Riddler is insane as fuck. And I really wanted him to not be able to stop himself. And so I actually had one story where he's begging Batman to catch me because I'm nuts. I don't want to be a free man. So there's like a moment of clarity. Yeah. And I actually did another one where uh, he leaves riddles for Batman. And when Batman solves them, he finds Riddler not doing anything wrong. And he goes, wait a minute, you're supposed to be committing crimes. You're just leaving me riddles, and when I get there, you're having tea and cake. I don't understand it. And he goes, here's why. Because I'm tired of going to jail, but I'm still going to leave you riddles. And if you don't show up, I will commit crimes. So he basically tricks Batman into being his playmate to stop him from committing crimes. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I love that character because the, there's, the, there's a kind of logic to his madness, which was great fun to write. And uh, the last one was Catwoman, because I genuinely feel that Catwoman is Batman's correct uh, uh, partner. Some people make it Talia, some people make it Silver St. Cloud, uh, some people make it uh, Vicky Vale. But I'm very convinced that Catwoman is his emotional partner. And so it was great fun to write Catwoman stories because they're always about how he really wants to settle down with this woman and stop fighting crime and raise little cat bat babies. And she will always do something to screw that up. She will always push him too far or just keep him at arm's length enough that it's like, oh, if only I would. And then, and um, I, wrote, I wrote one Catwoman story uh, that got adapted into a movie starring Holly Berry that's the worst film ever made. But the story it's based on is really good, and I'm very proud of it. And so every now and then, people would you know see the movie and go, are, are you proud of that movie? It's like, no, I am not proud of that so movie. is your name in the credits? No, my name's not anywhere in it. I'm very happy about that. Okay. <laughs> good save. Yeah, but uh, it's from a Catwoman story I wrote from Gotham Adventures number four. And uh, if you see the movie, the story is the exact same plot. There's no way they didn't base it on my comic. And uh, that comic's been reprinted about seven, eight times. They reprinted a lot. And whenever they do collections of Catwoman, it's almost always in there. And they did a special Catwoman collection when the Halle Berry movie came out. And that was, I think, first in the book or last in the book. I can't remember. So they were clearly pushing this as the story it was based on. But yes, name's not on it. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, and uh, is there anything you want to mention or people should be looking about for? Fun tunes, maybe? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy if they came to it. If you go to www.tytemplin.com every weekend that I'm not at a convention, so I'm not doing it this weekend, uh, I, I do an adventure of myself as a six-foot white rabbit. Great. Okay. Honestly. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> being a six-foot white rabbit has its own advantages. 
except for the fact that you have to duck for low ceilings because right. I have very very large ears. Uh, other than that, people treat rabbits differently than they treat people. So I, just, I think that's wrong. You know, everyone should be equal. Rabbit no, or no, person? No, no, no. Actually, it's important that I'm a white rabbit so I can go over the border into the states without trouble. <laughs> Woo! Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Geek Top Five at Toronto Comic Con. We'll be right back. We're here, uh, still at Toronto Comic Con. We're with Jason Liu, the creator of uh, Pitiful Human Lizard. What's going on, guys? So, we're wondering if you could provide us a top five Canadian superheroes list. Okay, yeah, for sure. So, number one, what has to be Captain Canuck, obviously. obviously. Uh, yeah, he, he's like the flagship of, of, of Chapter House, so you, you can't deny that existence. Like, he's there, uh, he's present. Next up, um, I, I'd say freelance. I'm, I'm, I'm digging what I've read with the first issue right now that Jim Zub and, and Andrew Wheeler are doing. Like, right after I f- finished the first issue, I was like, when's the next one coming? Like, I, like, I can't wait. Uh, like, so much adventure in that one. The third, uh, Puck has a, a, a soft spot in my heart, especially his days in Uncanny X-Force. Uh, he, he's just, just, he seems like a, a, a really cool... Canadian lumberjack who's short. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, he's cool. He cartwheels like no one else. Yeah. And his name is Puck. And, so. <laughs> and then, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to fit in the human lizard. I'm going to be biased because, like, the reason why I created the human lizard was because I wanted to create an offbeat Canadian superhero that didn't fit any of the stereotypes. And uh, so I created my own favorite superhero. What? Why is he pitiful? Well, he's pitiful in comparison to the other superheroes in the chapter verse because he doesn't have any amazing powers like he has the power of regeneration but he's just this average guy who gets beaten up and just gets back up someone that we can relate to this underdog uh, so yeah he's number four now number five i would have to say nelvana uh of the of the northern lights uh i'll like to see her make a return into the modern day, written by like uh, Inuit creators, uh, doing a fresh new take on this character. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Okay, so thank you very much. What? Uh, where can people find your stuff? Find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pitiful human lizard, and that's where I do all my updates. Oh, also Instagram, Instagram. Uh, I'm at rebel underscore Lou. Okay. Okay. That that was pretty cool. Anything else that we should know about the pitiful human lizard? Um, yeah, new issue will be coming out in April, and it'll be uh, monthly from April to September. Nice, fantastic! All right, thank you so much. We'll be right back with more. <laughs> okay, hello. We are back at uh, Toronto Comic Con. We're here with uh, Spider Gwen and uh, Super Gravity Falls fan. I guess. <laughs> do you want to do you want to reveal your secret identities for the show, or are you content with those nicknames? I'm content with that nickname. Okay, yeah. all right. So we were wondering here at uh, Toronto Comic Con if you could give us your list of the top five superheroes. Yeah, no problem. Okay, you Do you want to go first? You can go, you're one of the ones that's oh, like... okay, all right. Well, obviously, Spider-Gwen. Um, I'm loving Silk. Uh, Wolverine. Um, trying to think. Oh, it's, so far, there's so many. A spider bias there. There is, there is. Silk and, and Spider-Gwen. It's hard not to say Spider-Woman, but... You know, there's so many to choose there's from. There's so many to choose from. Okay, um, okay, I'm gonna have to go with Ms. Marvel 
and oh, so Ms. Marvel, you mean like the Kamala Khan version, the current yes, Ms. Marvel? Yes, okay. yes, the current version. And I mean, Ms. Marvel, the like the old yeah, one, the too. now Captain yeah, Marvel. Now Captain Marvel is pretty good, too. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Captain Marvel's gonna have to take it. Yeah, okay, all right, cool. Real quick. Help out the noob here. So I only know so much about Spider-Gwen. Okay, so Spider-Gwen takes place in the an alternate universe where instead of Peter Parker getting bit by the spider, Spider-Gwen gets bit by the spider. And instead of, not spider, it's Gwen Stacy gets bit. Um, and instead of, well, spoilers, instead of Gwen Stacy dying, Peter Parker dies. So oh, okay. it's like completely flipped. Yeah, and it's really fun. She's a drummer in a band. She like fights the same villains relatively. It's, it's the band's yeah. the Mary Janes. Right? The Mary Janes, yeah. yeah. Oh, isn't that a little awkward? <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a it's really good. I recommend it. Yeah. Okay. All right, Super Gravity Falls. You want to throw your list in there? Uh, well, mine's a little bit more mainstream. <laughs> Come on, it is though. I'd say number one, despite my Superman shirt, it's actually Batman. Okay. Uh, Batman's number one. Good call. Uh, then I'd move on to Spider-Man. Okay, know, just right. original, plain wow. old Spider-Man. Yeah. I know. Throwing the so gauntlet down. That's <laughs> it's super mainstream. Did, did, did we just ruin your friendship? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, after Spider-Man, I'd say Jean Grey. I always loved Jean Grey and the X-Men. Uh, and then Wolverine, same thing. Uh, fifth? Does it have to be like a superhero? Or? You can do whatever you want. I'd say I really like uh, Jason Todd, like the Red Hood from Batman. Okay. He was he was because he was technically a superhero. Yeah, yeah. he still Jason, is. Technically, Jason Todd was a superhero, him. but Red Hood not so much. He's he's an anti-hero, you know. Yeah. He's he's still helping people. The, he's just necessarily on the good side, but not totally. He's got no. that Batman thing, where he can be like a bad guy, but not a bad guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fair oh, enough. Yeah. Okay. One last question before we go. Yeah, I mean, so these, both of you, but obviously like Spider Gwen put a lot of into that. Yeah. Is this the kind of thing that you post anywhere? Is there anywhere people could go to find uh, you? Not for me, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, not okay. for me. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Neither for me. Fair enough. All right. You yeah. mind if we just get a picture to go with the with the? Sure. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, well, thank you for, for <laughs> yeah. thank you for the list. Yeah. No thank problem. you. Thank you. So we're here at uh, Toronto Comic Con with Mr. Robert Picardo. It's uh, fantastic to meet you and, and great to have you on the show. So we generally do top five lists, but we don't want to spring that on you. But we just would love to hear your thoughts on being on Voyager and what it's like being part of the geek community. Well, I've been part of the geek community for a while now. <laughs> Voyager premiered in, oh my God, uh, I think 1995 or 6. Yeah, sounds like sounds 96, right. I think. Yeah. And in January, so I've been part of the uh, of the geek experience now for a good uh, 28 years. I'm sorry, 22 years, and uh, I, I love it. I love meeting the fans. I love traveling. Uh, of course, all actors love talking about themselves. So it's a it's a it's a perfect storm. Do you like going to the conventions and meeting the fans and everything? I absolutely do. They're uh, they're the most loyal fans in the world, science fiction fans, particularly Star Trek fans, because I also starred on our competitor series, Stargate Atlantis. Right. I've been, uh, I'm the only, I think, regular actor from Star Trek and Stargate. If I ever do a Star Wars, I will have won the trifecta. So that's what I'm hoping, <laughs> listeners out there. Do you, do you have a, a, I mean, this is a maybe a loaded question, but any uh, preference between Stargate and Star Trek? Well, I love doing both of them. I obviously had a much longer experience and a great character arc on uh, Star Trek Voyager. But Stargate had a much loosey goosier feeling shooting it because it was a it was a science fiction show set in the present in a secret 
government program that nobody knew about. But uh, So it was a sci-fi show that seemed futuristic, but we could use all of today's sort of colloquial speech. And that made it a lot easier. <laughs> so you had laser guns, but you could also wear jeans. Exactly. But you <laughs> cannot... On, on Star Trek, you do not change a comma, a syllable, without permission. They're very careful with the language because they don't want to risk the show seeming uh, in the present day. No colloquial, present-day colloquial speech, no regional uh, accents, unless you call British a regional accent. <laughs> and uh, uh, so they're, they're very uh, touchy with language. So you have to be very, you have to know your lines immaculately on Star Trek, right. whereas you can kind of fudge your way through on Stargate. If you're a producer of Stargate listening out there, I didn't just say that. <laughs> so the original series cast, they got movies. Next Gen cast got movies. The rest of the series sort of missed out on that opportunity. Would you? Where would you have liked to have seen the show go if it had gone into movies? Well, they can't make a feature franchise out of every TV cast. True. I was happy that I got to pop up in one of the Next Gen movies in First Contact. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm, I love the new uh, movie franchise and the actors they've chosen and the fact that they've kind of set a different alternate timeline. Yeah. So it doesn't infringe on anything <laughs> that we did on the, on the uh, TV series. And I'm looking forward to the next television incarnation. Um, they have some great writers on it. Shooting uh, right here in Toronto. Shooting right here in Toronto. Uh, my friend and actor colleague Doug Jones is on it, and he's great in everything he does. Can't go wrong and with Doug Jones. the other cast members I've heard about are terrific, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Great. Uh, where can people see you uh, now? Um, coming up, uh, I am in the new uh, National Geographic is doing its first scripted series. It's called Genius, starring Jeffrey Rush as Albert Einstein. I play uh, Abraham Flexner, who was the man who created the Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton, where, um, where Einstein escaped from uh, Germany to. Uh, I also just uh, guest starred on a show called The Last Tycoon on Netflix. Uh, and, uh, and I do a lot of, uh, for your listeners, I recommend that you go to the uh, Planetary Society. The Planetary Society was co-founded by Carl Sagan in 1980. It is the world's leading space advocacy nonprofit organization. Our present leader is Bill Nye, the science guy. And I encourage you to listen to my monthly news- newsletter called The Planetary Post. Just go to www.planetary.org and you can subscribe for free. And every month you'll get a five-minute video in your inbox where I talk about what's cool that's happening in space right now. Wow. That actually sounds fantastic. Yeah. We will absolutely take a look at that. All right. Well, thank you. Oh, by the way, Tim Russ, fellow Star Trek colleague, is my guest star on this month's Planetary Post. Fantastic. Uh, We're at the Griffith Observatory, which was recently featured in the Academy Award-winning La 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 Land. Land. And uh, although, (laughs) although, (laughs) I mean, it won some Academy Awards, (laughs) not all of them. Uh, But uh, we were at that historic uh, landmark location. Tim is a great um, animal. (laughs) He's a great, he's kind of an animal. He's a great amateur astronomer, which if you say really quickly, comes out animal. Anyway, Tim, if you're out there, you are an animal. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, guys. I will look forward to hearing myself on geektop5.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. Geek Top 5. We'll be right back. So that was Toronto Comic Con 2017. That was a blast. We had a good time. We met a lot of people and made some new friends. And uh, now we're, we're done for another uh, couple of weeks. We'll be back uh, soon with some more news for you. Uh, in the meantime, we'd like to to thank some people. Absolutely, you know, the, you know, as Jesse and Graham, we come to you, but we can't do this without our foundation. Really, special thanks to Ben Sound and to Stella Simeonova, our crew, both of whom have contributed to making the show what it is today. 
No special guest this week, but we'd like to thank everyone we spoke to at the con. There are so many great people, um, you know, from people like Robert Picardo, who have become images in the con industry, and just to Bayes, who <laughs> is tremendous. Yeah. Um, please be sure to check out our website at geektop5.com or at facebook.com slash geektop5. We've got some pictures of some of the stuff, most of the folks we talked to, and some of the stuff they came up with for their cosplaying was phenomenal. If you want to get in touch with them, we'll try to include the Instagrams and all that sort of links and such. And if you want to try to get in touch with us, a hundred ways to do so. Facebook.com slash GeekTop5 is a good place to start. That's where all the pictures and, and links we're going to have to all this uh, stuff we did at Comic-Con will be. We also have our website, GeekTop5.com. We also are on Twitter, at GeekTop5. And our email address is GeekTop5 at gmail.com. Please reach out to us in general, or if you want to be part of what's becoming the great debate, the great passion debate, (laughs) it'd be great to hear from you. In any case, this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again soon.